0: Welcome to episode 293 of the Spokesman Cycling Podcast. This show was engineered on 28th of February, 2022. The Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast is brought to you by Jensen USA. Jensen
1: USA, where you will find a great selection of products at unbeatable prices with unparalleled customer service. Check them out at JensenUSA.com slash The Spokesman. Hey, everybody, it's David from the Fredcast. And of course, I'm one of the hosts and producers of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast since 2006. For show notes, links, and other information, check out our website at wwwthe And now, here's
0: my fellow host and producer, Carlton Reed and the spokesman. Thanks, David, and welcome to the show, which is 40 minutes or so with Brussels-based Kevin Main, the chief executive of Cycling Industries Europe, the bike industry advocacy group. We talked beacons. You know, the detection or connection tech I've been banging on about since 2018, and which potentially has ethical and safety ramifications for all forms of cycling and just getting about as a pedestrian, for that matter. Kevin does put my mind at rest, at least from an advisory group's point of view. I'm still not too sure the bike industry is fully cognizant of the concerns myself and others have got, but hopefully the industry's enthusiasm for the latest tech, which I sometimes share, uh, will be tempered by those who have the interests of all cyclists at heart and not just those who can afford to sport detection tech. Not everybody's got an iPhone or can stump up for helmets or bikes or whatever else that now or in the very near future may broadcast positional info so you don't get squished by inattentive motorists. This is now... The fourth podcast I've devoted to this underreported topic. Go check out the others, including with transport historian Peter Norton and Tome Software's Jake Seagal. I'll link to those previous episodes in the show notes at the spokesman.com. But here's Kevin Mayne. He starts out by explaining why he reached out to me.
1: I reached out because i've seen all the chat in social media and i've seen some of your own commentary and i've seen a kind of narrative developing that everything around kind of beacons on bikes feels negative and almost feels as if certain people in the bicycle industry when somehow selling out some advocacy and safety values and that deeply disturbed me because um not not so much beacons on bikes but the general and broad principles of connected bike, the many things we can do with connected bike, including connecting to other vehicles, but also infrastructure and and to each other. Things that I've been battling to get on the cycling agenda for six or seven years now, and see many, many positives. But I also see that us being in the room when the sort of automated and connected vehicles conversations happen is the biggest safety net our industry and our community could possibly have. Because certainly from the European work and a bit from the kind of US work, I see this is happening in a a kind of research bubble. Policymakers are desperately relying on kind of research and proof of concept and case and just to give you an example, I mean, the EU's last budget for this space was one hundred and sixty two million euros. And at the start of this program, there wasn't a single cyclist voice in that conversation. And if that bubble develops its own narrative on what's needed for cycling to be safe or in their terminology, vulnerable road users, which is a term that I hate, then we are at great, great risk. So my concern, and I and I reach out to you because I know you're one of the people that's kind of reported on this, is to say I just think we've got the tone wrong on this, and I think we need to balance
0: our concerns with also what the opportunity is. I understand that, and I understand absolutely the logic of feet under the table, just the fact that you're in the same room where it's happening, kind of thing, totally understandable, but using that same logic and you're you're around the conference table with all these automotive concerns with the big pot of cash that's uh, also one side of the table could not the cyclist's voice at that table eventually say yeah we're here we are in the same room with you <laughs> at the same table but we don't think this will work. And here are the reasons why. So you're at the table, you're being listened to, but you actually say, yeah, but guys, it ain't going to work. Yeah. I mean, we we run the
1: risk of being an irritating kind of mosquito in that room in that we are the voice of doubt. But if you take the other approach, regard this as kind of, I don't know, uh, we need a kind of cordon sanitaire where we don't touch this stuff, then we're not even the mosquito. And... The key thing about properly structured research is that the voices in the room have a certain degree of equality. It isn't just the ones who bring the big bucks. But there is a need. Even to be in that room, to kind of be willing to say, look, we're, we're having a technology discussion. And what I found in the past was you know, the conversation would go along those lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a role vulnerable road users. We don't want to run you over. But this is a tech session. What have you got? Uh, What can you bring? And and what is your kind of technological agenda? And we might agree that our technological agenda is to make sure that nothing really, really dumb happens. Mm -hmm. But we do need a passport. And in reality, there are some good things happening on kind of connected bike and connected tech that are not all about beacons on bikes and some potential mandatory thing further on downstream. Uh, We're in a fantastic project called the bicycles and ITS project with ITS standing for intelligent transport systems. And for example, we're looking at a lot of passive systems in the Netherlands and Denmark, where, you know, what historically would have been a bicycle counter can now be a bicycle trigger. So as Mm. you approach the traffic lights, the traffic lights know there's a cyclist. Great in the Netherlands, Denmark, Flanders, okay, if you've got brilliant bike lanes and those kind of things, but there are potential future applications of those things on camera detection, Uh, a lot of very, very good artificial intelligence now been developed that can clearly identify a cyclist from background traffic. And we can, uh, we can bring a lot of that content to play without a lot of the kind of what I would call the red lines, we will not cross around mandatory beacons, or you weren't in the right place. Um, We can also use an awful lot of detection and data and connected bike to improve the quality of infrastructure. And, you know, the infrastructure is going to be fundamental to the automated cars as well, because basically the tech's not going to work. So there is a, there will be a battle for certain pieces of infrastructure, maybe to be dedicated or to be automated or to contain certain loops or, you know, even have restrictions on them. And so we have to be part of the infrastructure conversation. Um, currently the infrastructure conversation is going our way because urban access restrictions are actually not saying bring automated cars. They're saying bring no cars. Mm. And, um, Someone has to bring that conversation into the room as well, going, wait a minute, we've just talked to 100 cities. 100 cities want less cars. They don't want automated cars. Um, And so we have to be that foil. And the big difference to where we were perhaps five years ago is, you know, our industry is currently pretty hot in terms of policymaking, both in the US, but particularly in Europe. We have access like we've never had before. And uh, that puts us in a lot of platforms where we've never been before. Not, you know, we don't have a quality with the car industry, but we've we've moved an awful long way. Kevin, who's we? Um, I mean, first off, you know, the associations carry that voice. But what we you know, what we represent for the first time, maybe in 200 years, is we represent happening technologies Regard that are regarded as extraordinarily useful. You know, step one, the e-bike, very popular, a lot less intrusive than the e-car, cheaper, more accessible, and you know, outselling the e-cars by multiples of ten to one in some countries, etc. We have the cargo bike. You now, the the logistics future of Europe is a complete and utter mess if we don't shift um freight from its current structure cities can't take the trucks um there is not an eu policy document on urban mobility in the last five or six years that hasn't had a reference to cargo bikes mm. so and cities as cities bring in urban access controls to solve safety air quality congestion those issues the bikes are the vehicles that slip through the net
0: are well, our, our pedestrian organizations uh, do they have a seat at this table? Not that I can see. And I
1: think that worries me a lot. But but they're even perhaps worse than we were a few years ago, where if you ask the question, what tech have you got? You know, there isn't a product development process there that acts as a passport. And I think certainly I feel a very strong moral obligation to kind of represent, you know, the, the non-motorized, I hate the phrase vulnerable road users,
0: but how to, to be, to some extent, the voice of the others. Isn't that potentially a good reason why pedestrians aren't there? Because we are all pedestrians, mm. very often not seen as a, as a, um, a user group in, in, in their own right, even though there are, of course, um, pedestrian associations that that do lobby for these yeah. kind of things. But might, might the pedestrian um, element not be there? Of, I mean, I'm going to ask them this, um, but out of choice. In that they don't want to be there for the, the reasons of that I might be quite cynical.
1: Yeah, and possibly, I mean, I haven't chatted to people like Walk 21 about this recently because I've been, you know, to some extent managing our own agenda. But there is um, equally, I think, in some sectors, there has been a sense of almost where, again, parts of our sector were there going, this is nasty, it's corporatism, you know, might we be selling out if we enter those rooms? And um, you know, I, I respect those views. My own view, from cycling point of view, is that's not the best choice for us. But um, we you have to respect that to
0: a certain extent. So I can, I do absolutely understand that if, if you're not in the, the 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 room where the decisions are made, where the decisions that can get passed on to to policymakers and they get rubber stamped then you just don't exist you know you, yeah. you do not exist as an entity yeah um, and pedestrians absolutely have have, have long fallen uh, down on that and, and and to a similar extent but to a lesser extent cyclists also so i do understand that but do you also not appreciate that yeah i understand your talk about e-bikes and cargo bikes etc these are expensive products Whereas the simplicity of of being a pedestrian, the simplicity of being a cyclist on an incredibly simple, cheap machine is you don't need that tech. You don't have to have your phone connected so you can see the speed on your you know your 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 lovely two thousand dollar machine, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's the very simplicity. Yes, that might be a problem, but it's also an absolute beauty of the simplicity
1: and and. You know, the key point is the mature advocates and we have to we have to bring the best of our, you know, these are tough environments. We have to bring the best and most professional of our community into some of these spaces to get maximum impact. You know, people are good speakers, with good knowledge, good knowledge of the data and the arguments. But in bringing those people in the room, they speak for our whole community. You know, I sit in some of these sessions wearing the bicycle industry badge But I have talked this all through with our colleagues at European Cyclists Federation, where I used to work. I have my own roots in cycling UK. we are never going to let that go. Um, If we start sending people who are so in love with the tech, they forget where we are, then we have, yes, we are a risk to our own community. And we've agreed amongst us, and also including Connery, others, there are some red lines that we all share. Not all the companies share that. They may want to sell the tech and they have great ambition and they see customers. But as a representatives of our sector, we're very clear, no additional obligations. So no obligation to carry a mobile phone, no obligation to be chipped. And we have an absolute killer argument, which is children. We're not like Mm -hmm. drivers and cars where you would let you, you know, any parent who has ever tried to stay in touch with their teenager via mobile phone and knows how many times that's not possible because mm-hmm. of battery. I turned it off. I dropped it in the pond da, 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 da knows that this tech is not reliable in the hands of children. So and you have
0: five-year-olds cycling on yeah. public roads. and yeah. You've actually got four-year-olds, three-year-olds yeah. yeah. walking and, on public We're not going to chip
1: children or pets or animals in order to allow the car
0: the cars to drive all over us so Point these away. so these red lines It yeah. it as though we are talking on pretty much on the same wavelength and yeah, your red lines are yeah. probably going to be my
1: red lines no, too. No, i mean i've got two others i'll share with you second one is location i mean a lot of automated driving and other techniques will have a sense of it'll work perfectly if you're all in the right place we know 101 reasons why a cyclist may not be in the right place. And the big red flag raised was when, you know, there was a te- one of the early Tesla deaths in the States. And the police report said the woman was not crossing the road at an approved crossing point. And anybody who's sensitive to this throws their hands up and goes, no, 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 that's, that's absolutely right. We, we're not going to recreate the circumstances under which jaywalking came into existence to support car safety. And there are many reasons why, you know, even more so in countries with poor infrastructure, why the cyclist might not be in a convenient bike lane. And the third thing we will not accept is any obligation to retrofit. You know, there are multi millions of bikes in the system now that are never, ever, ever going to be tech. And I think you expressed it well and emotionally about the kind of love of cycling, but it's it's also the love and simplicity of that equipment so we're 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 absolutely in line with the concerns we think um and we see other people like League of American Wheelmen have done some publications around their own sort of red you know guidance on what's acceptable and what isn't and I think it is better that we step up and tell the world very very broadly what we can and can't accept, so
0: the red lines hmm. that we uh we, we 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 talked about and it sounds as though we kind of agree on do you not risk going into the room going into getting your feet under the table and then you're accused of being you know the 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 1930s phrase uh, of cyclists being prima donnas and disparaged because you know official cycling officialdom is seen as not to be terribly helpful
1: yeah I mean I think we, we. I mean, we move on. We're, we're we're not walking around rooms we've been invited into making posturing speeches. We're in there, and others are in there, and colleagues, and you know, colleagues in the US are in the opportunity to be in research environments where you are there. But you you have a you know, if if you're good at your job, you have a sensitivity and a subtleness and ability to get your points on the table. But you've always got escalation. So, you know, I can always walk out of a research process or take my team out and go to people at the European Commission's Road Safety Unit or other areas and go, look, I'm sorry, I have to whistleblow. What is happening in here is unacceptable. And that was when maybe we always have to have a nuclear option where you really are not a good player. Right now, we're nowhere near that right now we are in conversations where to be brutally honest say on automated driving that the technology and the programs are some are let loose under a very poor regulatory regime in the states but in europe they're at baby steps and you know we're more able to say things like you know what you you know intelligent speed adaption So that people don't speed is acceptable to everyone. Now you have the technology. Now we could save X thousand lives a year. Now we're quite keen on those parts of your technology. When can we have them? And you know, there is a almost a a very very experienced uh, road safety expert quietly whispered in my ear after I said you're bound. But this is schizophrenic. You know, you have people sitting on one side of the room on behalf of major motoring companies saying av av need the research this is going to be kind of game changing and then when they're asked well why don't you release kind of level one level two now the marketing head comes on and goes I, 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 it's not ready yet and there is uh, and, the, and it, the parts of that industry is absolutely tying itself in knots and there's very very little evidence that that technology is ready to be released into the world, even in terms of very controlled pilots. Mm. So, you know, we've got a long period ahead of us, 10 years plus, maybe 15, where we could be inside conversations about what is acceptable and what isn't, but also challenging the kind of benchmark assumptions. Because what happens in these research bubbles is you know, there's a drive to get the tech tested. The people from more of a policy background can say, yeah, but what's the comparison? Could we for the same amount of money, could we get mode shift for the same amount of kind of for less policy implementation, could we do something on speed limits? And so we can be part of some very mature conversations. And we don't have to slap people in the face with a kind of set of red lines. I mean, I'm happy with this. You record it. It goes out there to a certain extent. I want to give people confidence that the kind of cycling sector doesn't need to sell out in order to be part of this conversation. Mm. We, we do. I think, we, you know, I'm going to be arrogant. We do know what we're doing. You know, this is like, not naively wandering into this space. This has been a concerted effort by a serious group of people in the lobby space to say we should be on the inside track of this conversation, not shouting from outside.
0: So the lobby space, as you intimated earlier, is different to uh, the industry space. And as you intimated also earlier, is the industry wants to sell stuff. Mm. If you're the maker of a very high-end uh, bicycle, you you kind of you've got a fairly good interest to want to keep that owner alive, yeah. And you want to market that tech to that owner, yeah. You know, all you know, futuristic tech probably gets sold to very rich people to begin with. And and I'll classify anybody who can afford a two thousand uh, euro dollar bicycle as as intrinsically rich. Um, then. Y- you're going to want to introduce that technology you're probably going to want to sidestep you know fuddy-duddy officials like you and go straight to ford as as tome software has done and get this tech out there and then it's taken away from from people like you or is that not the case has the industry got less power than we might imagine
1: no I, i think actually i mean this what's important is to some extent how this is regulated And I'm particularly interested in how, you know, the car space is regulated and how the vehicle car interaction is is regulated. I still believe that the products are going to come. I have enough people now that I'm talking to some of whom are members who've got fairly advanced vehicle to X technology, as the jargon calls it, and believe confidently they can do bicycle car interaction to a high level of accuracy. Equally, the conversations we're having with them—they're saying, "Yeah, but you understand what our kind of policy positions are?" And they're like, "Of course we do. That's why we joined. That's why we're in this conversation. And we—if we don't understand, we need you to explain it to us." Do I believe that there are, you know, Tesla equivalents on the car side or people in the bike world that go out there? Well, we've already seen on e-bikes there were a group of companies that were happily willing to allow, you know, American speed bikes inside a European regulatory regime. And it caused us a lot of embarrassment with the regulators. But we doesn't mean that our kind of position on this stuff wasn't, I think, right, just because there were people pushing the boundaries and um, we with the broader industry, I and mean, if certainly you look at CIE's membership, but when I look at the community we work with in Connaby, and I look at the national associations in many countries, you know, that these are not cowboys, they take their industry very seriously, and they take the reputation of the industry very seriously and uh, keen to get things right. Um, But I do know, I mean, just as we might say on helmets or on bicycle lights or on other tools on the bikes, there are people who like the certain gadgets. They like certain accessories. It makes a big difference to them to feel safer. And I, I I would to an example, you know, purely, purely myself, mm-hmm. that I would say I 100% agree, for example, with all the conversations that we have around the world on the role of high-vis. It just so happens I've lived for the last 30 years in rural areas. And when I ride a bike in rural areas, I'm often in the dark without street lamps. I choose to wear high-vis. It makes me feel safer. That doesn't mean for one moment I've ever advocated for mandatory high vis, and I've ever wished to overstate the kind of actually what it achieves. It just makes me feel safer. And I have friends who have said, you know, can't you guys come up with something we can put on our bikes so the cars don't run us over because they know I work in the industry.
0: So in the garage there, I've got a, a brand new month old Cannondale that Cannondale have kind let me have and it's got a radar on the back Yeah, it's got all sorts of daylight running light it's got low it's bristling with yeah. tech in other words and that Cycling Weekly put it on its front cover as you know this is the bike of the future etc etc so this this clearly this connected bike you know the, with all equipment on is is kind of what consumers high-end consumers at least yes and certainly large parts of the industry think of as as the f- the future you know you can you can you can make more money by having a, an equipped bike etc but is this not just also you know it's only for one kind of cyclist it's for the high-end cyclists and yes there'll be some trickle down but we're we are talking about you know these kind of cyclists people like maybe me and you and, and others who probably listen to to you know to podcasts etc and read the cycling literature are just a, a tiny 1% of the actual number of cyclists out there and by actually looking at this tech um, and 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 adopting this tech there's actually a danger you know 10 15 years hence of we've made too much tech and we've kind of taken away, from what bicycling actually is for the majority of people. And we're actually harming what the majority of people want to do with their bicycles. Yeah, um, I think
1: that's classic kind of journalistic fallacy because you, we live and some of us live and I've been there in a world where we are presented with the products at the leading edge. We are talking to the brands and the companies about the things that excite them and clearly there's a degree of you know pro endorsement or whatever else then you go and actually study your industry figures and your sales figures and you study the consumer research that says you know a high proportion of consumers in many countries don't even know the brand of their bike that they are buying a usefulness they are buying a lot of the basic values and we've just done some consumer research not just released yet but really implies that the bicycle boom of 2020, 2021 was dribbled by the simple pleasure of riding a bike. Some of those people chose to ride to buy e-bikes and there's been some price inflation partly about supply chain, but a lot of people went back and refreshed their mechanical bikes at the same time. And if you move away from where we're exposed, you know, the high end brands with their kind of tech, that's very focused at the kind of more sportive cyclist, you know, some of the nicest connected technology I've seen has been in, for example, in Sweden, Yeah, you can buy a bicycle, which has a whole load of connected technology for riding around on, but it does things like connect you to your insurance company. It it Mm. detects the safe, you know, is your bike moved? Is someone trying to force your lock? Um, You've done a few thousand kilometers It's about time you had some new tires Um, and it's doing some stuff that, yeah, it's it's more high end, but it's actually promoting convenience and reliability. And we know convenience and reliability have a big impact on people's perception of cycling. It's just a bit difficult. You know, bicycles have punctures, bicycles. You have to you have to repair your own bike or find a special shop. That doesn't happen in a car. So we can do more. Um, you know, the, you know, the last 20 years we've seen, you know, really good, reliable puncture proof tires, for example, which take away a lot of consumer perceptions where the bicycle is just a basic daily utility, much mm. like a family car runner around And that's even more important when people go for car free families or when they for use technology like cargo bikes. So I think, you know it's really important that the brands excite a certain part of the community with a certain the lightest, the fastest, the shiniest, the ones that wins the most races and i you know i totally love what many of our members do in that space and you know you the brands are obviously there and they're visible but i see for the development of more cycling we can be really really excited about some of the just very easy facilitation of cycling that's also possible now that wasn't there
0: a generation ago. Kevin, I also get excited by, by, by this technology and I, I can see that it, it can actually also bring people into cycling if, for instance, they, they, they feel as they're going to be safer, if they've got tech, they're going to come into cycling. I, I absolutely recognise that. However, when you have that, that, that technology and it, 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 it sounds fantastic. I'm probably in the market for that. It's like, yeah, great. Why wouldn't I want to to be bristling with as much ineffective radars and, and and beacons? So you know, I, I personally never get hit. Fantastic for me as a rich privileged cyclist. However, does that not bring further and greater risks to the people who are not rich? privileged cyclists. That's what I'm trying to get at, is the people who will never have this technology, but they are the bulk of the people out there cycling. That is the whole point of this conversation, is that
1: we are inside technology conversations at European or international or global level, so that we can defend the interests of every single person who not only rides a bike today, but might want to ride a bike and is too scared and dumb things happen in techno bubbles when technologists are not challenged at the point of development and they're not offered up these perspectives. And that person on a horrible bike is also someone like me with the bike I buy on eBay and I buy a new, another one every two or three years for leaving at stations because I'm afraid it's going to get stolen. And I'd like maybe that to be better. But those bikes are as much part of the world, even of some experienced cyclists or people who would spend a lot of money as they are of the people you talk about at the high end. And I I really. Worry that there's some kind of caricature, that the thinking people in the bicycle industry have no love for that space. If you look at what cycling industry's policy positions are on any subject, we start with what does it take to get more people cycling? Number one, safe conditions, more infrastructure. When we go and our lobby to the European Union, we say, look, there's some interesting things can happen on tech. But by the way, we want you to spend 10 billion backing up member governments on building safe cycling infrastructure. So we are absolutely categorically clear that conditions on the ground lead. And then we ask ourselves, how can we help? And we can help in two ways. One is we might have some tech that makes people more confident or makes cycling more accessible, or we might have some financial models like bike sharing that make, you know, cycling more affordable. So that's one part. So we can help get people on bikes and more of them. And we also have a really important role to defend. There are other industrial sectors who are, you know, if if we get it wrong, they're not our friends. And there we have a role to speak for this whole community. Some are the cycling citizens groups, the advocates, the more traditional groups. Some of us is in industrial advocacy. And for the first time ever, really, we're bringing an industrial voice to these conversations so i can put the ceo of a large bicycle corporation in a room with policy makers and have him or her say what i'm telling you now that this is we understand what it takes to deliver more cycling in europe
0: mm. philip Creese has a very uh, pithy phrase uh, when i've interviewed him about uh, that subject and and that is um detected not connected So is that is would that be something that the the kind of the phrase that it it almost sounds as though that's where you're coming from?
1: So so you platforms
0: on on this stuff, I
1: mean, we've done a few Villa cities together on the kind of where's the smart tech taking us? And, um, you know, I think we're pretty much in consensus and the detected is interesting because again, it doesn't require entirely cars. There's, There's good things you can do with infrastructure and cameras and other technologies. And I mean, one of the examples I use is, you know, if you're not counted, you don't count. We can't actually say on a European level how many kilometers are done in Europe by bikes, we can make estimates of how many Europeans cycle from consumer surveys and censuses and those kind of things. And, you know, we've been bold and now extrapolating those figures and saying, look, we think these are our numbers. And and I have, you know, I have a speech um, from people you know in our CIE summits saying back to us, wow, thank God, the last two years you've brought data. That's what we need. And with that data, we can make arguments and we can make economics. And thank you for coming and
0: doing that. So you talked about infrastructure uh, a minute ago, and we've yeah. obviously talked about the, the whole of this half an hour we've been talking, we've been talking about the, the tech side give me like a a, a a potential percentage of of how important these things are in 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 your world so how important is tech compared to how important is a is a physical um curb separated cycle way so what what how much time would you devote to to these elements
1: Right. Well, we just to clarify, I mean, we, we also partner with ECF and others in the advocacy community, but we would, I mean, I did an estimate for our board and said that, you know, probably even in kind of revenue terms, 70, 80% of our work is on what will make cycling grow. Then within that, when we get the chance to make the arguments, you know, we lead every time with better infrastructure, better infrastructure, better infrastructure. And even our work on the European Recovery Program, I mean, we 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 asked for minimum, you know, billions to be spent on infrastructure, versus you know a little bit on purchase premiums and a little bit on innovation. But it was, you know, you're talking about kind of five to one or more in terms of the kind of ratios, and that's just European stimulus funding. Most money in infrastructure is spent by national governments. So, you know, we're really totally clear that it's infrastructure first. And all the work that I did in the last two years on on European recovery from COVID, huge proportion of that was on. Let's preserve the cycling streets. Let's preserve the up bike lanes. Let's get them made permanent. Let's get them segregated. Let's get them high quality. And it, it's, it's a constant thread.
0: Totally backed by our industry. So you don't the, the kind of the corollary to that is so you don't think that, or, or if the, this did happen, you'd you have an, an immediate pushback to this. You don't think that, say, the automotive interests will just say, "Well, like, forget bike lanes. We don't need them. You know, forget all of these things because we're going to have uh, connectivity. We're going to have detection. You no longer have to worry in the future about motorists hitting you as a cyclist because we're going to have this tech. You're still going to be saying." Uh-uh. No, that first, and then maybe well, some. let's of see. This.
1: I mean, the interesting one is you know, you take the Dutch cycle streets concept. Uh interestingly not, some countries feel uncomfortable with it, but it's kind of 20 kilometers an hour, dedicated streets, cyclists get priority, motorists are treated as guests. And in some urban cores, you've even got smaller, you know, you go down to sort of 10 kilometers an hour, cars are allowed access for access only, and cycling, pedestrians and cars can all mingle. And if that is done well, you can gain enormous amounts of not quite dedicated infrastructure very, very fast because the implementation costs are very low. And you look what's happened in Paris with, say, Rue Rivoli. I mean, Rue Rivoli has effectively been clean of cars. Mm. So gaining streets, whole streets is a huge opportunity for us. And what's interesting in the kind of automated vehicle discussions is I don't think it's a question of anybody. I I think the least likely solution is the car industry comes and says we can all mingle happily now. I think our bigger worry is they would actually be saying you've all got to get off because many governments are not yet ready to allocate the space that's needed for cycling and pedestrians and public transport. And um, the kind of dedicated AV lanes worry me more. And also a lot of what's happening on very small scale um, logistics, which is these kind of mobile pods, which are currently being put on cycle lanes and um, on pavements as kind of tests. And the things are adept. I mean, I feel sorry for you with your guide dog, you know, faced by something that looks like an R2D2 from Star Wars coming down the pavement. Um, carrying a package for a logistics company, um, mm-hmm. an absolute nightmare. But because these things don't work in the road space and because they're kind of embryonic tech, governments are kind of going, well, let's, let's test it on a few pavements. And, mm-hmm. you know, we, we genuinely we and the pedestrian moon others, have, you know, we, we've got that because, again, we can say, actually, let's look at the cost effectiveness and safety and reliability compared to for example cargo bikes and the cargo bike wins absolutely every time mm. every time non-negotiable it works on speed it works on safety it works on volume it uh, works on health and we can
0: win every single argument compared to those kind of tech Thanks to Kevin Main there. And thanks also to you for listening to episode 293 of the Spokesman Cycling Podcast, brought to you in association, as always, with Jensen USA. Watch out for the next episode popping up in your feed next month. But meanwhile, get out there and ride.